Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. is the Church Law Podcast, where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. Welcome back to the Church Law Podcast. I'm Erika Cole, the creator of the Church Attorney Legal Audit System and your podcast host. Thank you for being here. And I hope you've been able to listen to previous episodes as we're in the midst of an exciting podcast series. It's entitled Healthy Leaders, Healthy Churches. From a legal standpoint, healthy leaders and healthy churches directly reduce the potential for legal pitfalls. In episode 23, which I'll link below, I outlined what I saw as the five general components of a healthy church. So I hope you'll take a listen to that. Then in episode 24, along with my guest, we discussed the financial health of pastors, including bivocational pastors, as well as their planning for retirement. And today, with my special guest, we are discussing another component of a healthy church, which is healthy families and individuals. This, of course, includes mental health, which has been a supercharged struggle in our nation. My guest, Dr. Pranessa Steele, is the founder and CEO of the Balm and Gilead, Inc., a non-for-profit organization celebrating three decades of providing technical training and services that strengthen the capacity of faith institutions in the United States and Africa to promote health education, disease management, and services that contribute to the elimination of human suffering. Time Magazine named Dr. Steele one of the 100 most influential people. Essence Magazine, in its 35th anniversary edition, selected Dr. Steele as one of the 35 most beautiful and remarkable women in the world. Ebony Magazine named her one of its Power 150, and she was selected by Women's E-News as one of its 21 leaders for the 21st century. Dr. Panessa Steele is also an author and a podcast host. At The Balm and Gilead, she describes her work as the intersection of faith and public health. So welcome, welcome, Dr. Steele, to the Church Law Podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. And I hope our listeners, if they've had a chance to listen to the past several episodes, they know that our theme for the season is Healthy Leaders, Healthy Churches. In my over two decades of legal experience, I've seen healthy leaders plus healthy churches equal less legal liability. So Dr. Pernessa, as you've heard, I've shared with listeners your bio, but please share a bit more about yourself, maybe some things that we wouldn't know from your bio. 
<laughs> well, there's probably a lot that you don't know from my bio, but I guess I'll share that once upon a time, I was an immunologist and working in a hospital in New York City and doing research, did research on malaria and cancer research at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And then I got a little idea. And that little idea was to mobilize the faith community to address then HIV and AIDS. And 35 years later, God has been so good. That little idea is the bomb in Gilead now celebrating 35 years and now an international organization footprints over within six African countries. We not only do we do HIV today, but we address all harms. We run the nation's Center for African Americans around brain uh, equity and brain cognitive care. We run the nation's National Brain Health Center for Cognitive Care uh, for African Americans. We are in many, many uh, states, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi, doing pre-diabetes in churches, where church people come to their church every week and get information and do exercising, trying to prevent diabetes. So the bomb in Gilead, we are so blessed and so highly favored that this little idea 35 years ago has really housed in where public health and faith come together to meet people's needs where they are. That is amazing. 35 years is a lot of time to run a, an organization of significance as you have, but especially be dealing with some of these areas of challenge around health, right? When there's a health challenge, you see people at a difficult point in their lives, right? And you're able to connect faith as a part of public health challenges, which I think is amazing. So I've heard you say that Balm and Gilead is the intersection of church and public health. In your years of experience, what challenges have you seen with the mental health challenges that we see today? And how does this touch the church? Well, you know, mental health is just another major chronic disease that we suffer from, and the church is just critical. We often work to make sure that health information is received from the church, that the church actually sanctions taking your medicine, going and getting your mammograms, your screenings, your prostate cancer screenings. All of these things is critical that the church, the leadership, puts its stamp on that God wants us healthy. He wants healthy servants to serve the people. I love this. And I love how you have established that health is a gift. Health is a gift. And we want to, as a body of believers, obviously maintain that for as long as God has us on this earth. So you've kind of touched on it, but I'm going to ask more directly. In what ways can a church support the health of its people? Well, you know, that's a good question. And there are many ways. One is to have factual information available in church. The bomb in Gilead, we send out, send out every Sunday, every Thursday, something called Sunday Morning Health Corner, where you can actually provide information on a certain topic. You know, information is critical. You can have some churches have, you know, second Sunday or third Sunday, they have a health corner where they have a doctor or a nurse come up and really give a five minute talk, some health situation. You can encourage people to take their medication. And if you're making sure that you have a health ministry, because I believe every church should have a health ministry, make sure that those health 
ministers, if you will, the people who are working in that ministry, that they have knowledge. It's knowledge-based, you know, that they have been to trainings. You know, the Bomb and Gilead, we've done a whole lot of trainings and have partners with Mayo Clinic and John Hopkins and a lot of places where we want people in our churches to be able to recognize that Brother John or Sister Mary was looking a little funny today. Maybe they forgot and was over-medicated, you know, that word. Maybe they took too much of their medicine. What's going on? Maybe she's getting ready to go into a diabetic coma. And so we make sure we have some orange juice. or We, we make sure we have, you know, those items that if someone is going into some kind of arrest, that we have some things that we can pull out. You know what I mean? That we have 911 numbers and we know the doctors who may be in church with us, the nurses. So we are able to go into 911 mode when people are in church having some kind of attack. The churches can do so much to be education, to advocate going and get your screenings, having health fairs, and making sure you have simple things available, like some orange juice, just in case someone goes into a diabetic coma. That's powerful. Well, so first of all, by means of my own personal testimony, you know, I have a very close relative who experienced stroke symptoms in church and thankfully had the presence of mind to know what was happening to her and to ask for help. And it's interesting because, again, thankfully this situation worked out well, but I examined this from a legal standpoint, as you suggested, that one, that churches be a source, a resource for information, for health information. And there certainly are culturally sensitive matters as well within the African-American culture. For example, you know, here we are, I guess, celebrating Black History Month as a nation. I think about, as you suggested, how significant the church has been as a place of resource and refuge. And so the importance of churches being a source of good, reliable information from a health perspective. Also, I heard you say maybe even be able to identify the people within the congregation who are available to be health servants of a sort. And again, from a legal standpoint, this immediately makes me think about making sure that you have like emergency policies within your church, right? If someone were to take ill, what is the process we would follow? Making sure that you have the proper people trained on these policies. So again, if you have nurses or other medical staff within your church, we always want to balance out what we do, um, making sure that we do it in a way that adds benefit to the church and lessens the possible liability to the church and the people participating. So I appreciate what you've shared. And I thank God for the experiences where people have been able to be well as a result of their church. But as you've also shared, when churches aren't prepared properly, it can be a place where people come and if they're having a physical challenge, unfortunately, if churches aren't prepared, then we can have a different outcome. So we want to have the best possible outcome, right? That's right. Can you talk a bit about how does the fact that many churches are operating in a hybrid nature now, post-COVID, 
How does that impact the mental health support that churches can provide? Well, I think that first we have to acknowledge that mental health, like all of these conversations, is a difficult conversation. But it is my experience that we have to have another level of conversation with our faith leaders when it comes to mental health. Because so often the devastation that we experience in our families around mental health is that people who have mental health challenges are labeled as the devil. Mental health is just like cancer. It is a chronic disease and we have professionals medical professionals that deal with mental health, just like we have medical professionals dealing with Alzheimer's, cancer, diabetes, stroke, all of this. It's mental health is a chronic medical condition. And we must, the church must stop labeling it as a D. Yeah. Well, someone I heard say it this way, which is your brain is a part of your body. Right. Just, just that simple. It's a part of your body. It's a part of your wellness overall. And to be able to see that all parts of our bodies need to be treated well in order to function well. And anyone's body can break down in different ways that may be unanticipated. And I do think that, again, this goes back to bridging the gap, the information gap, I think, starting there with our understanding about mental health concerns. Because sometimes we talk about being triune beings, right? Of being spirit, soul, and body. But sometimes we, we don't necessarily always acknowledge all those components. And so all of ourselves is not spiritual, right? All of ourselves is not physical. All of ourselves isn't the soul realm, which is the mind, your emotions, your mood, your attitude, right? All of those things. So each of those components needs to be cared for. And from a legal standpoint, I want to raise the caution as well of what can sometimes happen in church as it relates to counseling, because sometimes people with mental health challenges present for counseling and spiritual counseling is not, I submit, a solution for a mental health concern. That's right. So it is very important for church leaders to be able to readily identify that line. When I've worked with clients in the past and helping them develop a counseling policy, which by the way, I recommend every church have. Yes. It has been very important that it is known to be biblical counseling, right? It is not a substitute for a professional therapist. It is not a substitute for a mental health counselor unless you're holding yourself out as such, which most church leaders, I think, are not. And to be frank, the way that the law is also moving is that if you are counseling in that nature, it can sometimes, the law can raise your liability to the level of what a therapist would be required to do in a similar circumstance. So it's very important that we provide information as a church, that we're able to assess a situation and know when it has gone beyond biblical counseling. That's right. And I want to give a shout out to those churches who have partnered with mental health services. It's very important that we do do that and know that, like you said, that 
spiritual counseling is not mental health counseling. It's spiritual counseling. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. So my last question, I know that we're running out of time, but if a pastor or church leader is experiencing mental distress, are there actionable solutions that you would offer this church leader to consider? Because we don't want to suggest that the only persons who suffer are in the pews, right? I mean, oh, the church no, absolutely not. Church leaders also suffer. We've seen, unfortunately, multiple examples of church leaders who've ended their lives, I'm sad to say. Well, a healthy church begins with a healthy pastor. A healthy church begins with a healthy leader. How about that? I think that, you know, it is very important that the leader sets the standards. The leader must, you know, when you are overwhelmed and you need to go and talk with somebody, a mental health professional, just like the leader needs to make sure she goes and get her annual mammogram or he goes to get his annual prostate screening. These are ways that the leadership influences the few. We are not perfect beings, you know? We are here on this planet struggling through our faith and putting our faith first in everything that we do. But trials and tribulations do come. And health challenges do come. They do come. It's a part of our living on the earth that we're going to have some good days, and we're going to have some not so good days, you know, arthritis is going to beat me up some days. So it's very important that our leaders lead and bringing their reality into the pulpit with them. I love it. Dr. Pernessa Steele, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for the wisdom that you share, for the service that you provide to churches for the past 35 years. I pray that Balm and Gilead will just continue to be the beacon that it has been in the past that it will continue to move forward in the future. I do see that you have a number of partnerships and so many organizations that enjoy working with you. And so I thank you for your time today. Yes. And anybody, please join us. Go to www.balmgilead.org. Yes, there is a bomb in Gilead. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Steele. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Steele. She is truly an expert that is highly valued, and I so appreciate her time here on the Church Law Podcast. As I listened back to the episode, it occurred to me that there may be some areas that I just want to insert here to answer some questions that we've seen in the past about these kinds of matters in churches that I don't know that I emphasize so much in the interview time. So first, I just want to describe a bit more about the specific steps a church can take to establish a counseling ministry and maybe some of the do's and don'ts that you want to really take into consideration here. So first of all, as you probably heard me say in the episode, it's really important from my vantage point of having almost 25 years of experience in this area, that churches steer away from referencing it as a counseling service or anything other than biblical counseling. I just think it's very important that you insert the recognition that the goal is to help people have a better awareness of God's word and how it can be applied to their specific circumstances, as opposed to any indication that it's 
a mental health service, right? So when a church is setting up a policy, number one, you want to have a deep awareness of the licensing requirements within your state, because that can be a real pitfall for churches who maybe unwittingly want to set up a policy to help their members, but not realizing that some of the requirements within the state, the state licensing system might steer them in a different direction. So number one, you want to make sure that you're aware of the state licensing issues, where the line is for your jurisdiction between biblical counsel and what would be elevated to the detailed review and ultimately licensing requirements of therapeutic counseling. Okay. And then number two, make sure the church has a real clear policy related to confidentiality. Obviously, when we're getting in the area of biblical counsel, people are sharing their hearts, they're sharing difficult issues, and privacy is key. And beyond privacy, again, as we consider the requirements of counseling in general, confidentiality is a must. I know that often within the context of our churches, we feel like it's family and and we want that. And we also want to make sure that we protect the information that we receive. So confidentiality concerns is the second component that you'd want to consider as you're putting together a policy. Thirdly, I want to highlight the whole issue of priest penitent or clergy penitent privileges. And that is the fact that, again, jurisdictionally, there are specific rules around reporting, who's a mandatory reporter for matters involving legal violations. And there is within jurisdictions also this whole issue of whether information that's shared to a clergy person is indeed reportable or if it's quote unquote protected under a clergy penitent privilege. And essentially it kind of comes out of this notion of if someone, we want to encourage people being able to share their hearts with their spiritual leader. At the same time, there is a line that the law says should not be crossed. And ultimately, there are requirements in various jurisdictions about having to report even if one is a clergy person. So the bottom line there, again, gets back to making sure that as you're putting together your biblical counsel policy, also making sure that you're aware of this point of clergy penitent privilege and when and under what circumstances it's enforceable. And we also, I think I think I touched on this a little bit as we were within the context of the podcast, but I think I said no when to say when. <laughs> Making sure that as a part of your training within your church, if you're going to provide biblical counseling ministry, then you also have a clear process and protocol of when to refer people who are experiencing severe difficulties where they may be a danger to themselves or to others. So when it crosses the line of outside of biblical instruction to something where there's a real mental health concern, make sure that people are trained and understand 
where that line is, and also having resources within your area of where people can be referred at that time. And then finally, I want to talk about making sure that you know how to handle situations where if, for example, your church provides marital counseling or couples counseling, making sure that you have some provision for the issues that are quite common in today's culture. So when that comes to perhaps couples that are same-sex couples or whatever your marriage ministry standard may be or the standard within your denomination or so on and so forth, just making sure that people are trained and that there's a clear messaging around how those individuals can be loved and supported and also how the church can stay within its biblical guidelines in that way. So I hope that this has provided some additional insight when it comes to counseling matters with church anytime we're dealing with mental health concerns. And I also want to highlight something that I've mentioned in a prior episode, and that is the issue that the top trigger for violent situations on church property is unfortunately within the context of domestic violence. So it's often domestic violence situations that spill over from home into the church. And so when you're finding yourself in a counseling situation for families and marriages, I want you to just be aware of that, that this is a heightened potential risk and that your church is prepared to manage that. So we address a number of these issues. I'll make sure that we have some further details in the show notes. And thank you so much for being with us on this latest episode of Church Law Podcast. For listening. If you found value in the Church Law Podcast, please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a short review so that other church leaders can benefit from this valuable resource. I'm happy to be your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. And you can learn more about me and how I serve churches and their leaders at erikacole.com. That's erikacole.com. This podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.